Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code STAPLE20. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Well, welcome back off the Labor Day holiday. Good to be back aboard with the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. Hopefully everybody is rested up and ready to go because the NFL season's here. The college football season is already well underway with plenty of crazy finishes. Uh, U.S. Open tennis with Serena Williams. Uh, That and a lot more to discuss. I am merely the somewhat competent host tj reeves he is the guy that we love to hear from you read him all the time the purveyor the owner the operator of sportsmediawatch.com hello dr john lewis back aboard here again ready for a new month by the way on the podcast the month of september yep we are uh, speeding by be the end of 2023 before we know it (laughs) i hope not can we just get to the end of 2022 uh as my twins continue to grow up before my eyes as high school sophomores at the moment they're not driving yet but they may be soon we look forward to uh talking about many different subjects a lot of it pigskin related by the way however you found us social media link uh, through John's site sportsmediawatch.com make sure you're following or subscribing to this feed you get great stuff not only us of course i presume that we would be considered great that's presumptuous on my part, is it not? That we would be considered great. I said great stuff, just in general. Is well, that presumptuous yeah. that we're great? No, um, well, you know, you're great if you decide you're great. That's it's that's like the it. Michael Irvin thing, you know, look good, feel good, play good. So we're just going to say that we're great. We'll feel good, and and we'll hopefully play good here on the uh, yeah. on the podcast. But anyway, George Offman is also here with "Tell Me a Story I Don't Know" on this podcast feed. His guest this week is CBS. Longtime Emmy Award-winning uh, broadcaster, studio host, and play-by-play man Greg Gumble. John and I will be talking more about Greg Gumble, but we tease away that the podcast immediately before this one is uh, is George with Greg Gumble talking about his roles at CBS. A lot of people don't realize. I remember watching. He was on ESPN Sports yeah. Center in the early days of Sports Center. John Lewis as well. He sure was. And uh, he came back for that uh, 25th anniversary week where they invited back everybody that used to be on sports center, except for Keith Olbermann. <laughs> you always stick everybody. that in. I love it. Yes. Yeah. That's good on that. So we'll hear uh, from uh, a little bit from Greg Gumble later on on this podcast, but hear the full interview with George, a bunch uh, on tell me a story. I don't know. And also our guys, Mike Gill, Phil DeMont Mullen, the announcer schedules podcast. And man, do they have a bevy of announcer schedules to go over for college football, the NFL, Major League Baseball, all the national stuff, the U.S. Open tennis, et cetera, et cetera. And they've got a special guest 
And John, this is a fun one for me because I've gotten a chance to interview him several times. Barry Tompkins, the legendary boxing announcer, now with Showtime, formerly with ESPN, formerly with HBO. As Barry likes to joke, he's he's worn the blazer or held the mic flag for about six different uh, networks, boxing entities. But Barry, legendary, legendary also for being in Rocky Four, by the way, for Rocky against Drago, the fight in Russia. Air quotes, fight in Russia. Barry's on the is in the movie on the on the broadcast of that. Great boxing commentator, also longtime college football and college basketball uh, broadcaster as well. So anyway, Mike and Phil have him on their podcast, which releases later in the week. As Barry's still going strong at eighty-one years of age, eighty-one wow. years of age, broadcasting for Showtime's coverage of boxing. So I look forward to hearing more from him, and he's got again tremendous stories. Um, all right, so we've got plenty here uh, on the program. They need to be following or subscribing to the Sports Media Watch feed, obviously, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts to get the very latest. We've got plenty to get to. Let us begin with the end for Serena Williams in her 2022 United States Open. It ended back on Friday night since last we talked. John, uh, what are your thoughts as it was an exciting match on uh, on Friday evening before she was eliminated in three sets? Don't know if it's over for good. She kind of left the door cracked like a little daylight that maybe she could be back. What are your thoughts, John, uh, as the U.S. Open rolls on without Serena now? Well, you know, I think it was uh, as good as ESPN could have hoped. There was no guarantee Serena would win one match. She won two. They managed to get her for four out of five nights that first week, including the doubles. And, you know, you're trying to maximize the opportunities to have Serena in there. And they, they really did. Uh, you know, ultimately they would have loved her to win that match, but uh, her opponent was uh, pretty tenacious. And so it was very difficult for her to do that. But, you know, I think it worked out as well as uh, anyone could have hoped there, you know, when, when you're dealing with a 41 or 40 year old, you're always worried about injury. You're worried. Okay. We'll just make sure she gets through it healthily. Uh, given the incidents we've seen in the past of, insanity with line judges bad calls all those things you just you didn't want to see any incidents so it was good that there were no incidents no injuries and you know when you're talking about going out you don't want to go out poorly right you think about kobe scoring 60 points right that's the ideal way to to, to finish your career uh, think about michael jordan finishing his career not with the game winner against utah but sitting on the bench at philly and the crowd is chanting, put Michael in, put Michael in. And he's like, I don't want to go in. I'm on a terrible team. We're getting humiliated. You know, this is embarrassing. And his final points were free throws, right? So uh, you wanted it to be more like uh, what we saw with the 60-point finale uh, for, for Kobe. And it wasn't quite like that, obviously, because she lost. But she really played as well as she could have played for those first two sets. I mean, obviously, she could have won the first set with a better run, but... You know, even even losing the, the final set 6-1, that final game and their refusal to to give in on match point over and over again. Uh, she really acquitted herself incredibly well for that week. Uh, I mean, this was not, you know, go out there and get blown off the court. I mean, Venus is who has been kind of experiencing that where right. she's not really very competitive. So you, Serena, it's pretty obvious she still has something left in the tank. Um and I think it's good to leave a little bit of something in the tank instead of going out there and playing until there's something left. So I thought it went pretty well. Um, the crowd with support was, you know, beyond anything you typically hear at the open. It was just raucous. I know her opponents could not have been too pleased by it. 
but this is what happens when you win 23 and you That's are right. a citizen of the country where the tournament is being held, right? You know, Absolutely. there's no Spanish Open for Nadal. There's no Swiss <laughs> Open for Federer, right? Uh, and there's no Serbian Open for Djokovic, at least not a major. So Serena, she won 23 and she lives here. Uh, now, was there a time in Serena's career where she and Venus would go to the U.S. Open and their opponents would get more uh, praise, they'd get you know more cheering? That did happen. You know, Kim Clijsters would get more, uh, but that's not the way it is anymore. Uh, and uh, you know, for Serena, it's it, one of the interesting things to me is, you know, Serena and Venus came into tennis as outsiders and uh, as black outsiders, which is different than just being outsiders, right? And, um, you know, there was a lot of resistance to them that still exists. There's still resistance to them, even after everything. But one of the things that they were able to do over their 25 years, how many every years, was they kind of crowded out all the folks who were against them. And they're still there. Their views never changed. Their, their, their negative feelings never let up. But they are now so vastly outnumbered, at least in this country. And I think that's what... Uh, we saw at the open last week with that crowd support. And as we discussed on the podcast last week, what's the biggest cure of all, you know, this winning. And if you win all the time, you're going to silence everybody. And I believe a lot of what we saw Wednesday night and Friday night was not just, we don't want this to end. And we're paying, there was genuine belief among that New York crowd. She can maybe win this thing. Mm -hmm. And yeah. if we can help will her to a point or a game, a critical game or a critical point, she can maybe get into the final eight or get into the final four. And then who knows what happens in the semifinals, um, et cetera. So I think that was part of it uh, as well. Now we should mention at the time that John and I are taping, the ratings are not out for the Friday night ESPN coverage of the U S open. You can give me educated speculation. If you like, I think you probably got to look, I, I know this about you at the Thursday night ratings um, as well for Venus and Serena in the doubles to kind of give you a projection. I'll tell you a quick story. So the, the wife and I celebrating her birthday, were out on Friday night. We had gotten done eating and we're getting ready to leave where we were. And there were a bunch of people crowded around watching the TV. I exaggerate you not in that second set. And wow. we did not leave where we were for the final two games of the second set. And I believe on Friday night, that was seven, five in the second set, or was it the tiebreaker? I can't remember which it was the tiebreaker. So we didn't leave. They went, we saw her push it into the tiebreaker. And then we watched the tiebreaker. There were John, no exaggeration, 25 people crowded around, watch the TV, hooting and hollering, all, all races and genders encompassing here. We were all watching. So that got done. And I said to my wife, I think we can maybe get home before this is over. Maybe or maybe not. We'll see. And sure enough, we got home and they were still late third set uh, to see the very end of it and to, and to see her tribute. So anyway, that's my story from watching it Friday night. Do you have an educated projection of what you think that number might be without it right in front of you? Well, you know, my initial ratings prediction was that it would be fewer viewers than the previous match because my thought was this isn't going to be as good of a match, right? The Wednesday match was three sets, so competitive, and Serena just played doubles. I honestly thought it was going to be straight sets either way. You know, I, I didn't think Serena was going to be able to play, you know, another three-set match so soon, especially after doubles. But obviously, the match was so good. It was her longest match at the Open in her career. I would expect something, you know, I mean, obviously more viewers than on Wednesday. I think 
probably at peak, maybe the peak on Wednesday was 5 million, maybe the peak Friday, six, 7 million, you know, given the uh, out of home element as well. You just mentioned 25 people, mm-hmm. you know, um, I, I think uh, maybe, maybe four, 5 million on average, you know, the most watched Matt Serena ever played at the open outside of a final uh, was against Venus in the quarters, the year she was going for the calendar slam, 6 million viewers that night. I think, you know, that's not out of the question. Uh, I think, especially as the match was very competitive, I thought college football might ding the numbers a little bit, um, but uh, realistically, who really cared about Western Michigan, Michigan State? So, um, you know, I think <laughs> I think we could see some numbers for tennis that we won't see again for a very long time. Uh, yes, so uh, it, it it is interesting when these moments come up. You know, it's the final, it's the farewell. Everybody wants to watch how it ends, whether it's, uh, you know, the NFL, I was thinking of this when you were saying it, whether it's a, it's an NFL quarterback who we know this is their final game, uh, whatever the case is, whenever it is, John Elway comes to mind, for example, in the Super Bowl. We didn't know at the time that he had announced his retirement, but it was likely going to be over uh, when they won the Super Bowl against the Atlanta Falcons. So we don't know that. So that obviously factors in. In this case, we knew pretty much, right, John, that she was saying yeah. – this is going to be it. She left the sliver of the door open that maybe I might try it somewhere else, but probably her last U.S. Open, probably her last big-time tennis tournament. Yeah, and I wanted to point out with Elway, you know, everyone thinks Elway's final game was against Green Bay. They think it was the game where he did the helicopter play right. and everything. His last game was actually one of the most boring Super Bowls ever that nobody cared about against Atlanta, right? Uh, so it's interesting how that kind of works out. Because if it, if his obviously he's glad to have the second Super Bowl, yep. but the storybook is if his final game was against Green Bay, not that. Are you saying one. John Elway beating Brett Favre and the historical Green Bay Packers is a little bit more significant than the second yeah. year beating Chris Chandler and the Atlanta Falcons? Yes, indeed. That the might only, be exactly uh, what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing anyone remembers about that Super Bowl is the trouble one of the players got into mm-hmm. the night before. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so that was like one, really one of the worst Super Bowls ever played between, uh, Denver and Atlanta. Denver but, put it on them, won the back-to-back. Yeah. David Robinson, goodbye. David Robinson also went out winning a championship against, uh, with San Antonio. There's not a lot of these though, uh, realistically, right? Cause so often, you know, Kobe 60 points for a 15 win team, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, even Kareem went out and ultimately his final game, they were getting swept would have been a competitive series. They were undefeated the first three rounds of the playoffs and then got swept. So they never played a game in that playoffs beyond the minimum, which is incredible. Uh, that's because a, now that's a stat you're wowing me on a Tuesday edition of the show. So wait a minute, this would have been the Utah jazz sweeping no, this who was, swept, who swept the Lakers Detroit. after they went Detroit. Oh, you're talking about the yeah. sweep was in the finals. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 89. Yeah. They swept through the first that's three right. rounds of the playoffs and got swept. The Lakers. Magic the Lakers. Yeah. Right. Right. Magic was hurt, but they were only they were already down too well before Magic was out of that series. So who knows how that would have played out with with full health? Uh, maybe not as closely as people think. But you know that's the way it usually goes. You go out kind of. It's Pete Sampras, probably the only one in tennis I can think of who went out with the win. And Sampras at that point had you know Sampras is an old man. What was he? 30, 31, 
In tennis terms, that's yeah. old. That's not old to me anymore. Well, no, it was. That used to be old in tennis terms, right? right? right. It used to be. Uh, and Sampras went out. Uh, he, he was kind of declining, had lost to Federer in the quarterfinals of Wimbledon. And, you know, who, who's Roger Federer? No one's ever heard of this guy. And Sampras is losing him in the quarterfinals. Wow. It says a lot, you know. But uh, ultimately got the win against Agassi. So he beat his primary rival in his biggest tournament, really, even though he was more associated with Wimbledon, you're an American, the U.S. Open is your biggest tournament. That's the best way to go out. But again, you think about it, Serena won the U.S. Open at an older age than Sampras did. It's as if she kept going. But, you know, back then you stopped at a much younger age. And for a 40-year-old woman to go out there and make the third round of the U.S. Mm. Open, if her name wasn't Serena Williams, that would have been storybook by itself. True. There was a time when just being 40 meant, wow, I can't believe, you know, Kamiko Date Kroom, she's 40 years old. I can't believe she's out there playing, right? You know, that's just the way it was. And because her name is Serena Williams, you kind of forget that just being there is incredible enough. Uh, but, uh, it, you know, the good thing for tennis right now, which is a sport that has been very dependent on Serena, Venus, Roger, Rafael Nadal, and Novak Djokovic, you are starting to see a little bit of new blood, right? Uh, and, and not just randoms coming up and winning one and going away, you know, because we've seen a lot of that. Yeah, I call this the Guillermo Coria Gaston Gaudio syndrome, right? This is when these uh, there's a French Open <laughs> in between the Sampras Agassi era and the Roger Rafa era. There was a French Open final between Guillermo Coria and Gaston Gaudio, two guys no one's ever I heard am, of. I am right now bowing to your obscure Grand Slam tennis knowledge. Keep rolling. Well, yeah, so these are two guys no one's ever heard of. It was a good match. I believe it went five, but, you know, just two random who guys. Who cares? An ultimate exactly. who cares, especially from the American audience, is yeah. your point. And we've seen that a lot on the women's side since Serena kind of started to dip in terms of her, her, right. her dominance in the last few years. I mean, last year it worked out. It was Emma Raducanu versus Lila Fernandez. It was The ratings were pretty good, two fresh-faced young players, but the reality is Radicanu follows that up with a loss in the first round. I don't know if Fernandez is still playing. That might end up being another just kind of pair of randoms, right? We've seen it time and time, and time again. I, I have to tell the audience again, because John and I can see each other while we do the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. He is doing all of this. You don't have that in front of you. You're just doing this off the top of your head with rolling all this off. I'm impressed because I couldn't name who those people were. Again, I am somewhat of a tennis fan. I followed it much more. And I think this is a lot of people. One more, then we'll move on. Because the Americans are not prominent on the men's side, especially, and other than the Williams sisters, yes, Coco Golf is now helping uh, with that. And, and maybe a couple of others here or there have had some run. You mentioned Lindsay Davenport on the podcast last week. We're an American. We gravitate more to the Americans. Yep. And because they're yep. not there, we lose track of whoever that was that won the Grand Slam, even if it's a prominent player. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the reality is Coco Goff, an American, she's making it deep. Daniel Collins lost yesterday. She was on her way to making it deep. I think there might be another American involved. I'm not really sure about the women on the men's side, Francis Tiafo, right? Yep. You know, it's interesting. Venus and Serena have really brought in a lot of black players into the women's side, but not the men's side. Obviously, they're women's players. Uh, Francis Tiafo, I mean, I mean, I don't know the last time a black male tennis player made it this far for, who is american i mean i might pull a name out for you malachi malavia Malavia washington malavia washington malavia malavia washington mal washington 
I got one for you. You know what Mal was doing? I don't know if this is still the case. Um, up, at, where- up at Ponte Vedra Beach, he was mm-hmm. the director of the Ponte Vedra Beach um, Golf and Tennis Club. He was running it. And I got the chance to shake his hand and meet Mal Washington. Obviously, mm-hmm. I didn't butcher his name, <laughs> Malavia Washington, but I said Mal. And nice to meet. He introduced himself as Mal. Nice to meet you. Got to meet him. That was probably seven or eight years ago that he was doing. I don't know that he's still doing that, but that's what. But he might have been one. He was doing tennis commentary at one time. Yeah, pre ESPN. Yeah, yes. he used to work for them. And uh, you know, uh, but really, realistically, we're probably going back to Arthur Ashe as far as black male tennis players in this country. So Francis Schiaffo, you know, maybe he's for real. Upset uh, Nadal earlier in the yeah. week, and again at I the time, shocked. at the time that we're releasing this, he could get beaten. We don't know. We're in the midweek. We don't know. We will see what happens with these. But but I was shocked to find out he's only 24. It feels like he's been around a lot longer than that. Uh, but if, if ESPN can get Coco Goff in the women's final and then Francis Tiafo versus Nick Kyrgios in the men's final, I mean, that will be the best two matchups that they've had in a very long time. So, you know, look, uh, it, tennis for a long time has had, it's been the Gaston Gaudio, Guillermo Coria thing. You can bring in Eva Maioli, you can bring in Anastasia Mesquina. It's been all these kind of one-offs, right? People who just kind of won one, and that was pretty much it. If they can get, you don't need Coco Goff to win 23, and she's not going to, right? We're never going to see that again, I don't think. I'm, I'm, I'm not, not, not from anyone new. Not all might get to 24, right? But uh, I don't think anyone new is going to get to that level. But, you know, if Coco Goff wins seven, which is what Venus won, I mean, that'll make her a tremendous star. Of course. So, you know, uh, if if you can just get the ball rolling, get some of these new folks to win, uh, you know, then obviously it'll never be like it was with Serena, but you don't need it to be like it was with Serena. You know, the NBA is not like it was with Michael Jordan. Doesn't mean that you can't still have a tremendous amount of success financially. So we'll see what happens. I I do want to add, I just thought it was very interesting that ESPN up to now, and it's, you know, Tuesday afternoon, one of ESPN's top 10 stories is still Margaret Court um, kind of complaining that she didn't get enough, like, I guess, praise from Serena. And it's like one of those things where it's I, I, I questioned the news value of this yesterday, and I still do, because one, Margaret Court is a pretty obscure figure in tennis, even though she's got the record. Uh, one, she's got the record, but that record is primarily from before the open era. So before Serena Williams got to 23, the record was 22, Steffi Groff, right? Nobody really mentioned Margaret Court. Uh, and, you know, the reality is I'm not big on, you know, canceling people and, and throwing them out and, you know, whatever. But the reality is that Margaret Court's views on homosexuality have made her very much not part of the mainstream of tennis, right? You're talking about Martina Navratilova being at worst the second greatest player of all time at 18 tournament at 18 Grand Slam titles. And, you know, obviously we know that Martina, Billie Jean King are going to disagree very vehemently with Margaret Court's views. So she's not really the greatest in, in the greatest of all time conversation at all. And she's not really in any conversation at all. So one, I don't even think Serena would be snubbing her by not, you know, giving her her due. I mean, who's giving Margaret Court her due? Why even single out Serena, right? And two, I just thought- Part of your point, I can interject. Part of your point is, were Steffi Graf and Martina Navratilova 
necessarily caring about or talking about breaking exactly. a market court record. And I don't really remember a lot of that in the 80s and 90s. Again, I'm older than you uh, on that. But again, this is one of those where you're looking to stir things up. You're looking to get comments from, from a person that you know is going to probably stir it up and make it a story. Yep. And it, it, in some ways, it does help with the interest. It does mm -hmm. help create some of the interest of, okay, let's tune in and watch. But uh, in other parts, it's, it's, it's also a turnoff as far as I'm concerned to yeah, continue to exactly. belabor it because Serena's out of the tournament. And you're right. right. If, you put, if you put Margaret Court in front of 10 sports fans and mm -hmm. said to them, uh, without, the, without holding a racket, without seeing her in her prime, just looking at her, let's say in her prime, without holding a racket, without having a uniform on of any sport, who is this? How many of the 10 would know? Out of right. out of ten from the early nineteen seventies, would I'm being serious? Would two? Oh, right. Would one maybe right. know who that is? And the thing is, it's not like she was part. Like Chris Everett's on TV all the time. Martinez right. at tournaments all the time. Margaret Court, even before the controversy about her views, was not. And this whole article, the headline is: Margaret Court says she admires Serena, and Serena doesn't admire her. Then you read the article. Margaret Court's just ripping Serena constantly in this article, diminishing her, talking about, "Well, I had I had one slams after I had a baby," and you know all this all this kind of petty stuff that to me. Even if you have to report on it, it is not one of the top 10 sports stories in the country. So my question to ESPN, and you know, I know this was an AP article and a Reuters article. She talked ESPN. first, I think, to the Australian papers about yeah, it, and then right. they picked it up, right? I right. think. But my question for ESPN is, who are they trying to trigger? Who are they trying to trigger with this article? Are they trying to trigger Serena supporters into getting angry and fired up and sharing the article? Or are they trying to trigger Serena haters who have been sitting down kind of angrily? Just, or, you know? or like you prefer, Professor C, both A and B. Oh, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> that is exactly it. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's, it's a complete non-story. It, the whole purpose is to make Serena look bad. And the purpose of making Serena look bad is to either fire up Serena's supporters or fire up the people who hate her. And that is the whole purpose of this story. It's completely not news. And it's still on ESPN's top well, headlines. They, they, they tend to do that with a lot of different stories. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Can we just and especially ones that they manufactured themselves. We could go down mm -hmm. another rabbit hole where yeah. they mad, manufacture the topic manufacture the outrage to the topic and then right. get reaction to the outrage that yep. you manufactured. Yep. All right. Continu continuing uh, with some other subjects. Let's get to college football. Uh, it got underway. You made uh, some reference to some of the games from last yeah. week and it got, it got underway in earnest. We should say there were games the previous week, but it got underway full fledged. Did you check some of this out? Obviously Ohio yeah. state Notre Dame was the national ABC game Saturday night. CBS actually had a national game, Arizona and San Diego state. And surprisingly the one win a year ago, Arizona Wildcats thumped uh, San Diego state in the grand opening of their brand new facility, their brand new stadium. So CBS had that. We, we of course had the Georgia annihilation of Oregon, which was a national game and some other games that are on yeah. John. What are your thoughts? We don't have ratings information right now as nope. we release, but what are your thoughts as the season uh, unfolds here? Well, of course, uh, it was a huge hit for ESPN and ABC to get a close game between Ohio state and Notre Dame. That was big. Um, you know, that was what they wanted. Florida state and LSU are not, you know, good, good team. So that was obviously down to the final possession. I felt like Joe Tessitore needed to lay out a little bit uh, after that blocked field goal. He was immediately onto, isn't college football great? 
And, you know, it's like, let the moment breathe a little bit in right. my view. I, far be it for me to tell Joe Tessitore, given I've never called a game in my life, how to do it. But as a viewer, I wanted the announcer to lay out a little bit there and not immediately go into Brent Musburger mode of sell, sell, sell. This is the greatest <laughs> thing ever, right? So, you know, uh, I, I thought that, uh, you know, they got two great primetime games. Fox didn't even go with their big noon. That was so ridiculous. Uh, when I, I checked my schedule, I put the schedule together and I didn't see the, the noon game on Fox. And I was like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I screwed this up. I can't believe I forgot the Fox game. And then I realized there wasn't one. Right. Um, I, I don't know who made that decision. They won't do it again. They will well, never they're come waiting time. to obviously debut with Alabama, Texas, two big traditional brands, Alabama, much more so now with all the national titles. So they're doing that as their debut this week. And I don't know what was available to them again in all of the trade-offs because Ohio state and Notre Dame was already spoken for, obviously. I mean, what were you going to put for the, for the big noon Michigan and Colorado state, which ESPN ended up getting, right. would that have been well, the big noon something. game? Would you have put Oklahoma UTEP, which was the Oklahoma game? Yeah. I don't know what they would have done at the noon window, but that again was. You've got to at least be on the air. You've got to at least be on the air. You know, I mean, instead you have infomercials. You need to make sure people know no matter what. And it really was infomercials. Did they have, and I, I don't honestly know the answer. Did they have Saturday afternoon like FS1? And did they have Saturday afternoon Major League Baseball on Fox while the no. college football was going on? Or they just went straight infomercials and reruns yeah. of a few good men or, or a few other things that they would show on Saturdays? No, it was infomercials. It was infomercials. And they're not going to do well, that Fox, again. Fox had no baseball? No, even on Saturday baseball afternoon. was in prime time. Wow. Baseball was prime time. Yeah. They had South Dakota State, Iowa on FS1. That's not a good game for broadcast. TV. Can, I just, again, can I just say it? Yeah. It was unwatchable. And Iowa, by the way, with two safeties, and I'm not talking about position players, two safeties wow. in a seven to three win, did wow. not score a touchdown, but finished with seven points. A game that was five to three for a long time in the second half, and they got another safety by sacking the quarterback. And I know they had, as recently as Sunday, I saw this, they had gone back to 2000. It's the only, the only college football game out of thousands of college football games where a team scored exactly seven points with two safeties. It had not happened in 23 wow. years in any college football game. That was your FS1 national game. Was yeah. uh, Iowa and South Dakota State seven to three? Thank you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Rough. I also, yeah. Well, I mean, look, uh, you don't want to put that on regular TV, right? But right. they needed to put something on. Obviously, uh, I don't know what. Even if it was just, honestly, you know, maybe even just a studio show for three hours talking about college football. But you've got to be on the air. You've got to. That habit is very important. It's not like it's it's not like big noon is imprinted into people's DNA. Well, what's There's interesting, can I just interject? What's interesting yeah. is they did the the pregame show, the big noon pregame show the previous week, and then did Northwestern and Nebraska mm -hmm. from Ireland with the time yeah. change and doing it at noon Eastern time. Then yeah. you come back the following week, and am I correct that they do the pregame show? They didn't even they did? do the they did the pre and then you have no game? Yeah. Now we're not network programmers, we just play them on the podcast. What's right. up with that? That, no, that really true. doesn't make any sense, especially since you did yeah. a game the week before. Right, right. I don't know. You know, uh, I mean, it, it, it was slim pickings, which is, by the way, you know, in terms of the Big Ten, you know, obviously Ohio State and Notre Dame, mm -hmm. but were there three good Big Ten games this week? Right. And remember, next year. Well, they, had had, they had had Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt do the Thursday night Penn State-Purdue game. Right. 
Right. Which presume presumably that could have maybe been moved by the network into Saturday at noon if they had wanted to, but they wanted it there for Thursday. And wasn't that the game that was part of the Joe Buck negotiations? I saw that they were allowing Fox was allowing ESPN to negotiate with Joe Buck. If Fox could get the Penn state uh, Purdue game and show it in prime time on Thursday night football for them. How about that? But but that's (laughs) still true. But that's still two games. They, uh, I don't think they had three quality Big Ten games this week. So next year in week one, it's going to be very interesting to see because, uh, you know, you got to factor in the uh, the whole circumstance right. with, uh, what is it now, non-conference games. And they're all scheduling cupcakes. Not, well, not Ohio State this week, but generally. I did want to quickly mention, you know, I always find it very interesting. It's a, it's a very interesting thing, the sideline reporting role. This is the primary female role in all of sports TV. and you know and you know you're doing the podcast as the audience may or may not be aware with a guy that does this role on radio for right. the buccaneers so it's interesting but you're talking about tv and females right. go ahead well i'm t- i'm saying it's very interesting because when you have and i was watching the arizona state san diego state because i just wanted to see for myself that they actually sent brad nestler and gary danielson to do arizona san diego state which they did and uh, obviously, we know the controversy with San Diego State, the punter from the Bills and everything. And it's a very interesting thing because what ends up happening is that the male play-by-play voice and analyst get to toss off this extremely negative, unpleasant story to the female sideline reporter who then has to come in and, you know, when you're trying to get excited for the game, has to tell you about all this horrible stuff. And then he gets to t- he has to give it back to the male play-by-play voice and analyst who get to talk just about the game. And I wonder if that is something <laughs> point. that kind of harms the perception of women in this industry, you know, because the men just get to talk about the fun. Let's go down to the sidelines to our female reporter who will tell us about all the horrible stuff that's going on behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I, so I thought that was, you know, uh, just that's something that kind of I, I noticed during that game because, you know, uh, Brad and Gary, they're just, hey, the game's going to be great. The game's going to be great. Let's go down to Jenny for some horrible news. Jenny, let's go away, <laughs> you know? Jenny, so, the topic that everybody in San Diego has been talking about for three weeks now, exactly. including the punter being released by the Buffalo Bills. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Exactly. Uh, I, I would agree. It's a great point that you make, and a lot of times they go over that, obviously, in a production meeting with how they're going to handle it. Uh, and then there will be some that will take charge actually from the booth and, and take on a strong opinion on whatever the case is. But you're right in the college situation. It is a little bit uh, it is a little bit different in that regard. And by the way, the big noon kickoff game is Alabama at Texas. Of course, Steve Sarkeesian was the Alabama offensive coordinator for several years. Obviously, the former USC coach disgraced, booted out of USC for Alcohol abuse problems previously was also the University of Washington coach uh, before that. So Sarkeesian against Nick Saban in this matchup. Bryce Young, the presumptive Heisman favorite for Alabama. All I'm saying to you is I'm going to have to tune into some of this game because on national radio, 
well, for this uh, educational reason for me, on national radio later this year, later this month, I'm doing the Texas-Texas Tech game on Compass Media Networks. And Steve Sarkeesian is saying he's not going to put a depth chart out all year. Just completely befuddling the media, his local media, the national media, the broadcasters. I got to DVR this game because I got to be able to tell who's playing when for the Texas Longhorns, however long they stay in the game with Alabama, because I'm doing a game in a few weeks. I just thought I would throw that out there. So you're telling me Tom Herman is not still the coach there at Texas. (laughs) I just told you, yes, he is not. And actually, Herman did a game as an analyst. I want to say... Uh, he did. You know what? I know he did because I happened to watch a little bit of it. He was doing the Saturday night, uh, all important Southern Methodist SMU North Texas game on CBS Sports Network. Tom Herman made his broadcasting debut in the booth for that game. One of 57 different announced teams that was broadcasting. That was him. But yes, Steve Sarkeesian yeah. is now the coach withholding John Lewis, the depth chart from yeah. the media. Beautiful. Not to harp on it, but you remember that Tom Herman came in with all this hype, right? And he right. was supposed to be great, and he came in from Houston, and he's gone already. Did he even Correct. last two seasons? I How think he was there three, three at the most. Wow. You're right. They are still paying. I believe they finally finished paying Charlie Strong and now have paid Tom Herman wow. as well. And now they're also paying Steve Sarkeesian. There, there might have been a while where they were paying like four or five head coaches, I guess, at Texas. When you're paying two or three of them to not coach, yeah, it's not good. Uh, can I sneak pills. in? Can I sneak in one more thing? I, I I don't know if I should even broach this. It's topic, your podcast, of course. You can yeah. sneak something in. What else you got? Well, I was talking about you know the role of sideline reporters, women in, in sideline reporting. Can I just say, can we get a little bit more diversity on the sidelines? I mean, just I'm I'm not I'm not a quota guy. I'm not you know, hey, we should have this percentage and that percentage. But when you're talking about like nearly every sideline reporter is not just white, but like also blonde. It's like almost everyone. It's, it, I mean, that's kind of absurd. Can we just diversify the sideline reporting role a little bit? Okay. And even within you know, the female category. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, that, absolutely. I just feel like it, it, it gets to a point where it gets back to that um, Chris Rock bit about how I don't want affirmative action if you're the best, but if it's a tie, right? And I feel like there's a lot of ties that are going to a specific look, right? And it results in an overrepresentation that is, I mean, honestly, if you're watching a college football weekend, 75% of the sideline reporters are a, a very specific young, I'll say it young, white, blonde, female. Exactly. It seems exactly. to be the category. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a hundred percent. I mean, I might not be the guy to point this out, you know, in no, terms of, but, maybe, and, but, and I think what it, what it also does is it almost ingrains in the networks amongst themselves. We've got to have one of these and she's got to be really good. And she's got to look like the other one they had. I, I mean, I'm not, I, I know uh, I know Aaron Andrews personally, professionally, like her, get along with her. But once she became really good, the mentality now became, we need an Aaron Andrews right. that looks yeah. like Aaron Andrews to be right. on our sideline. So I'm just look, uh, pointing that yeah. out. And it, it looks are part of it, but I totally get what you're saying. For example, I am friendly with uh, Tiffany Blackman, who was with the NFL Network. She is now on the sideline for ESPN as a sideline reporter. She is black. 
even in her namesake, coincidentally. But you're saying there needs to be more than that. And I can't disagree with it when you watch all these different games. Yeah, I mean, I think to me, again, if you're the best, you know, look, hey, I, I have no quarrel with the people who are just clearly the best. But there's a lot of folks, especially when I mean, there's 50,000 games a week. So there's going to be <laughs> folks on the sidelines who are just OK. And for every single person who's just OK to look exactly the same to me. And by the way, let me just share this while you're saying it. It used to only be like middle-aged white guys or former yeah. players. That yeah. was the demographic. Middle-aged white guy and or former player that's a middle-aged guy is what the demographic used to be on the sideline. Right. Uh, and so now that has changed. Yeah. You're just so saying I just, changing I, I a just, little more. Yeah. I just wanted to point that out because I, I just think it's um, – it's pretty, it's, it's, it's very early 2000s. So let's put it that way. It's one of those things that makes you think you're going to end up watching, uh, you know, a Bud Light commercial about taste great, less filling, or what was it? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it, what was the one? It was uh, I love football on TV shots of Gina Lee. It, it, it's out of that mindset. That mindset is what creates a very homogenous sideline reporting demographic. Now, of course you can bring that up about, play by play, which is very white male, very, very skewed to, you know, 70, 80 in a way that is not typical. Uh, and really, honestly, the only diversity you get in sports TV is maybe the analysts. I mean, realistically, I mean, look, you know, I, I, everyone who's working deserves the job they have. Right. But I just feel like there's a lot of folks out there who are just as good who get passed over. And I think that's fair. And you know what? Great segue. Let's get into this right now. As we mentioned, the NFL is kicking off for this weekend. Let's start talking pro football here on the sports media watch. Uh, com podcast and George Offman again, our colleague, tell me a story. I don't know has Greg Gumbel on and Greg, one of the pioneers in the booth in terms of NFL play by play um, and, and being uh, black. And, and is, as you have said a couple of times, the only, uh, to this day, the only black play-by-play -play announcer to do a Super Bowl, and he did two of them for CBS. So uh, George talked with him. And on this very subject, let's hear what George asked Greg about his start, which came in Chicago in local TV and progressed on to ESPN and the network. This is a part of their conversation because it ties right into what John and I are talking about. Here you go. I remember your days at Channel 5 uh, when seeing an African-American sportscaster on TV was kind of a rarity. Matter of fact, 1973, seeing a woman sportscaster was even rarer. I think that's why, and I've, I've said this before, I believe that's why I was hired at Channel 5, and that's why I was hired at ESPN, um, because there weren't very many, if any, black faces on the air. No. That's not why you stay. I believe you stay. You know, if look, if if they need someone purple, and you're purple, and they hire you, and if you can't do the job, they'll go out and find somebody else who's purple. Yeah. Um, but 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 I believe that you stick around because you show them that you can do the job. Uh, the same at, at ESPN. Now, Sports Center with Greg Gumble and George Grant. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the ESPN Sports Center. Uh, as you saw there, Chris Berman will be joining us in just a few minutes. He is fresh off the Silver Bird from Miami, where he covered the Dolphins and the Steelers. I don't believe that's why I was hired at the Garden. 
in New York that I don't believe that's why I was hired at CBS. But, uh, but yeah, I think that was a big reason why. Not the only reason, but the big reason why. And I think, you know, I was, I've talked with people, you know, after I was hired there who felt that, um, that they wouldn't come right out, right out and admit that. But, uh, but they, they did feel that, that I had potential, even lacking, even lacking uh, any prior experience whatsoever. It's kind of being in the right place at the right time. Sure, sure, without question. And, you know, Brian and I have never denied that. Um, we, we, we consider ourselves extremely fortunate. So interestingly enough, he freely admits, I got my opportunity because of diversity, like what you were talking about, because of my skin color. I probably wasn't qualified to be there. But then he makes the further point that forget about skin color. He even used the color purple. Forget about purple. If I was purple or anybody else was purple, it doesn't matter what color you are. It's can you do the job? And he would not have gotten the ESPN job or be at the network level for CBS as long as he has been if you're not good at the job. We all agree with that. Uh, your yeah. thought here, just following up on what we've been talking about? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's always an interesting conversation. You know, we're, we're getting close to the Supreme Court's going to get rid of the affirmative action soon enough, right? And, you know, when I've ever been on a college campus, I've been on uh, three different college campuses in the course of my lifetime. Uh, and, you know, uh, the reality of the matter is the diversity level is like non-existent in, in, in university. So, uh I guess you could say it can't possibly get worse, right? You know, but it, it's one of those things where you're very cognizant of one, the lack of representation, and two, you know, the perception that, oh, well, you might get a role because we talked about this, you know, the Maria Taylor, Rachel Nichols thing. And, mm -hmm. you know, uh, it was very interesting because, and I just want to reiterate just for the 100, you know, the 100th time, I still think Rachel was horrendously wronged in all of that. I agree with you. In terms of her, her privacy and having her career destroyed, I think that was horrible. But, you know, the whole reason people were so upset was because it's so hard to get in. And then the implication is you didn't earn it. It's very galling. And so, you know, uh, I, I definitely think, you know, it's just stuff you have to think about. I mean, it, it would be great if it was completely uncomplicated and then you could get a role and there'd be no question that you got it because you earned it. But when there's so few opportunities, this is kind of what Leah Hextall is going through, right? The NHL announcer. She, the, the reviews, if Leah Hextall was a product in Amazon, she'd have a one-star review every single week. <laughs> People are ripping her to shreds. So if you're not familiar but, with right. her, if you're not familiar with her, she is a, a Western Canada personality on the radio and TV, had done local, I want to say, and you may be able to correct me, in Edmonton, doing like local radio, and then began to do some NHL stuff. She, she has famous relatives, famous a grandfather that I think is in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Her uncle is Ron Hextall, the former goalie of the Philadelphia Flyers for a long time. She has worked her way up into now doing broadcasting of games and even play-by-play -play of games, and she was doing Stanley Cup play-by-play. -play. And right. I realize I'm being a little picky with saying the voice is a little high-pitched, et cetera, but I thought her calls of the game were good. Maybe the voice is a little hard to listen to or whatever, but her call on the play, the call of the game was good. There's the background info for your right. take. So now right. give the take, please. Well, yeah, so look, I've actually literally never heard Leah Hextall speak in my life. 
Okay. All I, all I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to surprise people here and say, I'm watching the Stanley Cup final and I'm watching like the top tier games. And that's pretty much close to it. So I've never heard her speak. I, I don't know what she sounds like. I don't even know what she looks like, really. So for me, all I know is what I see when I'm, whenever I'm on HF boards or, you know, there's a game on your, your, your people are ripping her to shreds. It's unbelievable. Now, is it because she's bad? Or is it because they see a woman in that role and they assume she didn't earn it, that she's there because ESPN is That's super probably a part of it. That's maybe even half it, of it. it. Probably some doesn't help. Yes, yeah, some of it is the call of the game and the screeching of the voice. Well, you know, and that's a difficult thing for women in sports broadcasting, I imagine. It'd be great to talk to a female play-by-play voice about this. We because... should get her on. I'm serious. Yeah, I will yeah, reach sure. out. You reach out. Yeah. We should get her on. But I have no idea what she looks or sounds like. I will, so I no, will help no chase contact. her. You will help chase her because right. let me say this. Right. I have two of them in my house. All right. Late young ladies. We were watching her calling the games. I have one of them that's sports inclined while we're talking about this topic. And I said to her, you can do what she's doing. Right. You can get there. She got there. She worked hard and she got there. She is on a national cable network doing a Stanley Cup game. That is not something that you are just handed, even if you are a quota, which is what you're implying. If you're a quota hire, you're not just you're not just handed that because you can't do it and can't call it. You would be exposed immediately. She's got some chops is what I'm saying. She works the games. So we were having that discussion in my own household. So again, I will say to you, we will look for her, try to find her and see if we can yeah. get her on uh, about this because I'm willing to defend, give her the opportunity. There are, there are a lot of male broadcasters that get away with being bad on the air. And that's kind of what uh, you're yeah. implying too. Yeah. They get away I mean, with look, being bad on the air. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of male broadcasters with high voices too. I mean, I've yes. got a decently high voice myself and I can't judge, <laughs> you know, there, you know, Bill Simmons, certainly now, look, the reality of the matter is so, you know, one, when I hear, uh, th- I feel like a lot of female play-by-play voices that I hear try to affect a deeper voice to avoid that criticism. Like Lisa Byington, for example. I remember when, um, uh, what's his face, Zach Levine had this incredible play where he hit a three, stole the ball, hit another three to win the game. And it was um, Stacey King who was making the, moist, the most noise, not, yeah. It was Stacey King who was making the most noise on that play. And, you know, uh, Byington was not silent, but you could tell a male play-by-play voice might have felt a little bit more able to let it loose on mm. that. Whereas a female play-by-play voice cognizant of that criticism of a high pitch, you can't let it go. But think about the guy who did the call of the lightning when in the Stanley Cup. That is as high pitched as it gets. Remember, the lightning has won the Stanley Cup in 04. Oh, yeah. Well, it's still the same. It's the same guy, Dave Mishkin. And he's the most mild-mannered guy you can imagine. And he loses his mind in the biggest moments. And sometimes it screeches. And that's what you're saying. Sometimes it it happens that way. But Leah Hextall, interesting polarizing figure. I will add, it probably does not help her that um, she is related to other people. So she gets the nepotism thing and she gets the assumption that she's there as a quota hire. And that to me is what I think contributes. She Look, like I said, I've never heard her call a game. She, I, I have no I'm verifying of- for the SMW audience in terms of the nuts and bolts of calling the game. She's qualified. I am point blank saying to the audience, she's qualified to be there. She comes from a Hall of Fame hockey family. She's had chops working in the sport, 
covering the sport. She's been the third person in the glass on a lot of hockey broadcasts. It's, it's, not a, it's not a question of qualified to be there and the nuts and bolts of being able to call, you know, centering pass, blue line, offsides, this player that pronounced the names right, she's on it. She was on it. You do not get to call Stanley Cup playoff games if you're not on it. And she was she was on it enough to get that opportunity. I don't know if they're going to have her back. I don't know if she's going to do it. Oh, they will. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just saying I heard it. And there you go. I'm offering you an educated opinion having heard it on her. Yeah, uh, the reality of the matter is that's just the difficulty when you don't have the good representation is people will assume you got there. I've I've wondered this, you know, about myself uh, in, in terms of, you know, certainly, I mean, I don't know. Are there people out there who think, you know, when I've been, when I've had my professor position, you know, uh, oh, you know, but that's the other thing too, you know, as a, as someone who has been a college professor, you, these schools, the diversity level is ridiculous. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Let me see. Cause I I don't want to say something that's not true, but I don't think I've met another black professor anywhere. I mean, I had one black professor the and entire time. And you've worked at how many universities? Three. Well, I mean, I've, right. I've worked at or attended. Mm-hmm. And so I had one black professor as a student. Um, wait, no, I had to have more than one, but I'm pretty sure it was just one. And as far as I don't remember working with any other black professors, right? So interesting. Now, am I the only person there for a reason? And are they saying, we really got to get a black professor in here? This is ridiculous. So, hey, yeah, let's get this guy. And, you know, that's something that you do have to think about a little bit, too. Now, I know I'm qualified, right? I know that I am. But, you know, you also wonder about people's motives sometimes, especially in so, those types. I, I totally understand. And you you come from a totally different uh, situation that I can't appreciate or understand where you're viewed differently, judged differently on skin color. And it is tougher and you're always going to be looked at differently and it's wrong. It's wrong for that, but it does go on. Uh, by the way, we'll fill out the announcer schedule. I, I know that, uh, that Mike and Phil normally do this, but we might as well do it for the NFL Thursday night. Mike Tarico in for Al Michaels will be with Chris Collinsworth. He's been with him before uh, on fill in games and other extra games, et cetera. So they will do Thursday Rams bills. They will do Sunday night. I will be at AT&T stadium for Cowboys Buccaneers, Jim Nance and Tony Romo will be on the Kansas city, Arizona game in Glendale, Arizona, Sunday afternoon. And then just real quick, the debut of Joe Buck and Troy Aikman Monday night in Seattle for Russell Wilson's game one week one return with the Denver Broncos against his old team. Do you have a quick thought on how weird or not it's going to be to see Joe Mm -hmm. Buck and Troy Aikman on ESPN? Oh, it's going to be tr- it's going to be tremendously weird. You know, it's uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen a top team leave for another network without a rights change. Right. Because, you know, obviously some are all in Madden with yes. the Fox, but CBS lost the rights. It's going to be very bizarre. Um, you know, I think Buck will be a great fit there. Buck, you know, people already hate Joe Buck. So the fact that he works for ESPN <laughs> will not be will not will not meaningfully affect that. Look, the reality of the matter is that. Uh, ESPN, you know, Stephanie Drewley said this on the conference call last week. She said, oh, there was no urgent. She was asked why there was the urgency to change. There was no urgency to change, right? We just had the opportunity. Well, of course there was urgency to change because ESPN, and you know, look, I want to say this first. I was very defensive of Steve Levy, Riddick, and Greasy last year because I thought ESPN, as they so often do, did their employees a disservice by 
you know, not just bringing in Peyton and Eli, which they had to do that, but bringing in Peyton and Eli and making them the show such that Levy, Riddick, yes. and Reese knew they were chopped liver. They had to know that they were chopped liver at that point, right? And so I thought they were done wrong. But the reality of the matter is, you know, Steve Levy as, is, I don't think most people would say he's the a top-level lead NFL voice, right? Uh, Joe Tessitore was not a top-level lead NFL voice. And Sean McDonough, who was really supposed to be, Sean McDonough's done World Series before. Sean McDonough was not a top-level lead NFL voice. So there was no urgency. But, you know, Drewley also said, and she was asked, and she responded in the affirmative, that she believes that having this play-by-play voice and, and analyst combo of Buck and Aikman will get them better games, which is probably true. But it also means that the combo they had last year was not going to get them as many good games as this combo, right? Are you They're saying A plus B still equals C? I'm still going over geometry yeah. with my uh, high school sophomores. I think you might be right that A plus B does equal C, that they might get yeah. a, a better game or two. But now the difference for them is they can't hopscotch around on an NFC package on Fox to the best yeah. game that week. If they are saddled with and I don't even know without even looking if they're saddled with Eagles commanders mm. because that's the game and they're both average or bad that's the game they can't suddenly hop to the Cowboys and the Packers for that well week I would love and come off the game for Monday Night Football I would, I would love to have asked them about this uh you know uh in the conference call didn't get called on which is you know that's, that's not right. the worst one the worst one they had it was Kobe was doing a conference call and I didn't get to ask a question. And now, obviously, we know, of course, you know, it's never going to happen. So that was like a once in a lifetime thing. And it didn't work out. But, you know, uh, anyway, I didn't get to ask this in the conference call. But I would love to have known if Buck and Aikman, what they feel about the exchange that they've made. In exchange for Thanksgiving with your family, Christmas with your family, an extra week off, they are going to call games that are not good. They're going to call games that end up maybe being meaningless and kind of boring you know um they do have commander's eagles now why would you get a help you know they do and that's philadelphia like the, and washington tv markets that's a big part of it well, yeah that's part but, of what they know. do on monday night i know i'm just telling you they spread it around why are the bears bad and they're there two times chicago yeah. tv market and it will be the same yeah. thing with the la teams once or twice la tv market they're being yeah. good to them. But yet you're right. I mean, they don't they don't get the Thanksgiving Dallas game that they seemingly had, you know, at least every other year yeah. on Fox. Yeah. yeah. So but I, I mean, they get to spend Chris. I mean, Joe Buck, thanks. Buck and Aikman have not spent Thanksgiving with their families probably in 20 years, right? And beyond that, you don't have to do the Christmas game, which they've had to do the last couple of years. You get an extra week off because you're not doing the NFC championship. But then again, you're also not doing the NFC championship. Right. So how do you feel about that? Do you like having an extra week off because you're missing a 50 million viewer assignment on the biggest game of the year? And you have sure, to sit down sure. and watch while other people do the job that you've done for all these years. I'll speak, I I'll speak just to this because Joe Buck was talking about it. And I'll paraphrase here that he has done so many Super Bowls. He has done so many World Series and so many big events that he was basically saying at this point, he loves doing them, but he's beyond the point of, oh, I've got to do that game. I'm right. paraphrasing. He was basically saying that. I thought it was also interesting. Troy Aikman was talking to another uh, brother podcast of ours, the Oran Marchand podcast from Sports Business Journal and New York Post. He gave them an interview 
where they basically asked him about the negotiating period with Fox and how he, how he ended up being able to talk to ESPN. And Troy's answer was, when it became clear, because of the announcer salaries being out there, that, that what he was being paid was not the same, he yeah. was making it clear to them that if it's not going to be comparable here, I would like to ask around. And right. you have to believe that ESPN, which what is it out there? What they came up with? They came up with probably in yeah. the neighborhood of what Tony Romo was making. I'm not saying what Brady's new deal is going to be with Fox, yeah. but in the neighborhood of what Tony Romo was making in the neighborhood of what Chris Collinsworth is now making yeah. at the, at the highest level. But he well, basically was open with them is that's what started the discussion with Fox of, I believe he had one year left this year on his yes. deal because they were supposed to finish together with the Super Bowl and then both be free agents. Joe Buck, by the way, has already said he had told Fox this was the last year he was going to do baseball, yeah. by the way. He was going to be done with baseball after this season, after this 2022 season. And so that's where the dialogue kind of kind of came. But Aikman, Aikman basically said to Fox, if this is not going to be a comparable situation, then I would like to look. And they allowed him to look and they allowed him out of the deal. Little did we know they were talking to Tom Brady for yeah. ridiculous $38 million a year to bring him in yeah. as uh, as the replacement, as the as the number one analyst and, and the replacement on that. So anyway, they'll make their debut in Seattle. Uh, just real quick off the cuff, and then we're going to move on to some love it or leave it and get done here. Do you think that's going to be a good game? Seattle is supposed to be bad this year, but they're at home. Jack Crowd, are they going to cheer and or boo Russell Wilson? Are they only going to boo Russell Wilson? That's the game that Buck and Aikman are doing Monday night before we're back here on the podcast. What's your opinion? What's your take or two on all of that? It's a great game. I mean, if you have to have a bad team, might as well get them in week one, right? And the storyline writes itself with uh, Russell Wilson's return. So I think it's a great, great game to start the season with. And uh, they should get a good rating. It'll be on ABC as well. So I think they're going to have some pretty good numbers the first couple of weeks with uh, the, the, the simulcast on ABC. And then the next week will be interesting because you have two games cannibalizing each other. I don't know how that's going to work out. But uh, the Cowboys-Giants week after that, it's only week three, so the Giants can't possibly be worse than 0-2, right? <laughs> so, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, Rams, Niners, another, that was a NFC championship. That is correct. Wow, that is an incredible great, game. And a great, and a great rivalry right now that's still developing out in the West. Very yeah. true. Raiders, Chiefs is even a yes. pretty decent matchup as well. Um, you know, uh, let's see. Uh, Broncos. You can make Chargers. the argument with Russell Wilson in Denver. Seriously, I don't live in the West, neither do you, that the AFC West is the best division in football between the Raiders, the Chargers, the Chiefs, and now the improved Broncos if Russell Wilson makes them improve. So any game that you're doing on that, um, it, it, as far as Monday night football or Sunday night football, the AFC West might have a lot of it, might have a little interest there. Yeah. In some of those games. So we'll see what it, it will be different. It will be weird to have Joe Buck and Troy Aikman on ESPN and Monday night football and all the different stuff that they're doing um, as part of in and around that. Okay. It's time. Love it or leave it. All right. Along those lines is the public loving Amazon prime or not. Now we won't know for a little bit here because the Thursday night game this week, bills and Rams is on NBC. However, they've done a preseason game on Amazon Prime. You have the numbers. And does the foreshadowing maybe indicate some trouble coming for Amazon yeah. and the NFL? What do you think, John? Well, yeah, these numbers are very intriguing because uh, ESPN, 
for 15 years since you're at Midnight Football, and not once has, uh, you know, uh, you know, Bill Hockheimer or I guess now Derek Ballner sent out a press release that included the over-the-air simulcasts. It's never happened. I've had to ask them because it's like, well, you know, you're not including the over-the-air simulcast. That's probably a decent chunk of viewers. They've never once put that out. Okay. Amazon's numbers from last week do include the over-the-air simulcast, and it's half the audience. They had a million viewers of the game. Half of them were watching on the over-the-air simulcast in San Francisco and Houston, which means about 500,000 were watching on Amazon Prime. And uh, that, you know, they're not getting to 12 million. If they're they're telling advertisers that they're going to get 12.5 million, first of all, even if Thursday Night Football was on linear cable, if it was exclusively on NFL Network, it wouldn't get to 12.5 million. I, course, I have no idea. It hasn't, it hasn't been there is what you're saying. Right, right exactly. Right. It's only been there when it's been on broadcast TV. And people, you know, the NFL is more dominant now than ever, but it's not because it, the ratings are like insane. The ratings are great, but, you know, the NFL still on a game to game basis is not where it was in 2015. You it's know? just so much better than everything else right, ratings exactly. wise by comparison. Exactly. Can I just say it? I've been saying yeah. it. I'm on the front end. This is going to be disaster. This is disaster mm-hmm. down the road because when you get what is the regular season opener for them the following week, it's Chargers uh, Chiefs, right? Yeah, speaking Chiefs. of the speaking of the AFC West, when you get to a week from Thursday night at the time we're releasing this podcast and you have millions, I'm not going to quote The Rock from Pro Wrestling and WWE, are you going to do it? And no. millions. I didn't even know you that have, reference. That, oh, come on. You don't remember The Rock from Vince McMahon's early uh, 2000s. I'm, He'd come out on the mic and go, I'm here for the millions. And then the crowd would go, and millions. There are going to be millions. Is, uh, I got yeah. you. Uh, not the wrestling. Uh, millions and millions of people that are going, where is the game? Especially when game one was on NBC on Thursday night, Rams, Bills. There, there is going to be screaming, and if the audience is a million people, even with the uh, home markets being factored in, is a million five and not four or five or six million people, that is big trouble. This is just me conjecture, but I've been on the front end of this all the way. I will still be on the front end of this all the way. There's going to be screaming everywhere that the game's not on network TV because we're creatures of habit. Like we've been talking about, it's been on network TV the last seven or eight years on Thursday night. Yep. Yep. And you know, look, the reality of the matter is that, uh, you know, there's going to be people who don't tune in because broadcast TV, as I said before, is kind of a default. You, you circle around when you're channel flipping, you're looking for something to watch there. The sports TV audience always includes people who don't care one iota about sports and are just watching to have it on. And that's an audience you lose when you have to affirmatively seek out Amazon Prime and click and go to the stream. Like, you know, that that to me, it's not, I, I just think, it, look, if they think 12.5 million viewers is going to be their average, I think I think they're mistaken. Well, wait, did they say 12.5 million average or did they say 12.5 million viewers? Because by the time you add up yeah, all the audience, true. they can get to 12.5 million. That's true. Very I true. just thought I would throw that out there. Let's continue. Love it or leave it. Can I take this one on love it or leave it? Because I've not mentioned this last week after the passing of Lynn Dawson, the former Kansas City Chiefs player, but he's much more known as the broadcaster uh, after his playing career. He helped the Chiefs get to the Super Bowl what uh, Super Bowl won, right, with the Green Bay Packers. 
and the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, and then later won a Super Bowl with the Chiefs against the uh, the Minnesota Vikings very early, Super Bowl four, I believe that was. But Lynn Dawson was known forever. Love me some Lynn Dawson and Nick Bonacani, who were the two guys that were on inside the NFL on, on HBO. Now, John, I realize I'm going way back before you were on the planet, but there was a time, and for the younger audience, there was a time where you couldn't see all of the games on Sunday there weren't Thursday night games. There weren't Sunday night games. There was Monday night football, but you couldn't see all the games on Sunday. And there was no highlight show, by the way. ESPN, and it's I'm talking about early 1980s, didn't have NFL primetime yet. You had trouble seeing action. You would tune in even days later to inside the NFL on HBO because they would pretty much show you six or seven plays at least from the games with the NFL films package. Harry Callis doing the... The, the voiceover for NFL films, a legendary voice. I did a bad impersonation. Gil's going to rip me. Mike Gill's a Philly area guy. He's going to rip me for that off the Sports Media Watch podcast feed. But anyway, they would show you the highlights of the games, and you were into it for an hour on Inside the NFL with those guys doing it, paying a bunch of money to get the rights to show highlights. So, again, tip of the hat. Love me some Lynn Dawson, some Nick Bonacani, who's since passed formerly with the 72 Miami Dolphins perfect season under Don Shula. Um, those guys were iconic in the early eighties when you couldn't see the games is my point, John, something that in the present day, you can't fathom that instantaneously, you can't see the highlight of who just scored that touchdown in a game. Can you imagine having to wait till Wednesday night to see who scored the touchdowns and how they did it? Yeah. Uh, Well, you know, it was probably, look, I mean, it was probably, I actually can't imagine because I, you know, growing up, didn't have, didn't have cable. Okay. uh, Didn't always have cable. You know, the internet was something we had to go to the library to get. Mm-hmm. I went to, you know, I went online in what, April of 2001 at the local library. And I was like, the Mavericks are in the playoffs. <laughs> I mean, I had not seen Dirk or Nash. They weren't on NBC in the regular season. Right. You know, I had no idea the Mavericks had a good year. Uh, I, to that point, had never seen a Mavericks game mm-hmm. ever in my life. They were never good. Uh, and so, I mean, I couldn't believe it. The Mavericks are in the playoffs. And this is like a week before the playoffs. That was the first time that I knew that the Dallas Mavericks, but Dirk and, and Nash were worth anything. So actually I can relate to a little bit. Okay. And I wonder, Fair I wonder, if, but you know, I wonder if that wasn't the better way, right? Because now we are just so inundated with sports. It is so part of our lives. We know everything that's going on in every single sport at all times. We, there's no piece of information we don't know. And I'll tell you, my enjoyment of the NBA was far greater in the era where I would, you know, show up at the end of the season and find out that there were teams in the playoffs that didn't know anything about. Right. I'm just thinking of this while you were saying this. I still remember being a little guy, not 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 unlike your age where you discovered the Mavericks aren't in the playoffs. Again, I'm older than John. I'm considerably older. I'm not an old man. I'm trying to act like I'm not an old man. But I still remember, hey. Uh, those Bengals helmets are really cool now with the tiger stripes on them because it used to say B-E-N-G-A-L-S on their helmet. And the way that I saw it was Lynn Dawson and Nick Bonacani on Inside the NFL because the Cincinnati Bengals, they weren't making a lot of national TV games wherever you were watching on network TV. That's mm-hmm. kind of the point. So a shout out to my childhood of watching 
football and pro football and watching those guys. All right, let's continue. Love it or leave it. WNBA playoffs down to the final four. As we release the podcast, the Las Vegas Aces can potentially close out the Seattle Storm and the career of Sue Bird at 41 years of age. If they're able to win in game four, they may, if Seattle wins, have to play a game five there. The other uh, series is uh, what the Chicago Sky and the Connecticut Sun and that mm-hmm. is Chicago, correct, John? Keep me straight. Up two to one. That may be over as well with yeah. Chicago having won by the time we release the podcast. But anyway, WNBA playoffs, uh, you're loving you some into that season. Go ahead. Well, you know, uh, it'll be interesting to see how Seattle recovers from the game the other night. Sue Bird hit the game-winning shot. They ended up losing by 12 points, right? You know, that's rare. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I, it's going to be very interesting. You know, last week I was asking, you know, what have the Las Vegas Aces ever really accomplished? Uh, and uh, up to up to Sunday, mm. really nothing. Honest to God. I mean, and I, know, can I it, tell you, I stumbled on yeah. the end of that game. Tremendous finish with made shot after big shot after Sue Bird three in the corner after Vegas answering. I mean, that was a great final, probably oh, yeah. 10 minute of real time watch yeah. at the end of it. Uh, can I give you one more on what we're sure. loving? I loved, and I don't know how often they've been doing this, but I loved the Mike live in the huddle with Becky Hammond di- diagramming what turned out to be the go-ahead bucket. Right. Yeah. Uh, they didn't show her diagramming it, but you heard her talking about the screen here, go here. You heard one of the players say, where do you want me? And she said, I want you right here. You're you're the screener right here. Right. This is where I want. And she diagrammed a perfect play for an open three. Boom. It happens. I thought that was a great innovation while we're talking sports media, John, on this. Well, they've been doing that in the WNBA for probably close to 20 years. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm talking way, way, way back. Uh, I actually don't like that. One, I'll tell you, there's no way Becky Hammond coming from the Greg Popovich school likes that. If Greg Popovich ever found out his huddle was going out <laughs> on a national TV, he'd lose his mind. Uh, and this well, is what they would do is they would they would replay it uh, as the action's about to go on. Hey, let's go back and listen to Greg Popovich or listen to Phil Jackson or whoever. And it's basically encouragement. We got to rebound better. You right, got to hustle exactly. more. It's not diagramming a play. Exactly. It's not an X and O strategy thing, which is the point. And I, I think I, I, I hated it from the moment they started doing it because it came off really minor league. And I still feel like it's minor league. There's no other major league where you're hearing strategy go out over the air. And I think if the WNBA was more popular and more able to control its relationship with ESPN, as opposed to being at the mercy of ESPN, that they wouldn't do it. I actually hate that stuff. Because to me, it's like you and I are opposite. I think that's a neat thing to give viewers insight into what's going on there in that huddle. We always wonder, right? What are they diagramming? What are they talking about? Is it encouragement? Is it what is it? I I love as much of that as we can get. I thought it was next level great, too, that Rebecca Lobo, after the play happened right on it as the analyst, she said they ran that same play earlier in the year against so and so and scored. It's the Mm -hmm. same play. She knew right away what the play was that they ran. And that's an analyst that's a that's a tremendous analyst all-star player gets it as an analyst i just as the viewer that was great for me because i don't watch the wnba all the time but i thought that was a neat inside the game type thing which i like you apparently don't like no i mean look i think it's is it good for viewers it is but i guess for me i just know that it's coming from a place of the wnba kind of not really controlling its relationship with its partner, right? It's It comes from a place of only a league that needs everything it can get from TV would allow this to happen. And so for me, it's like, it's tough for me to 
to really to, to get behind it. Because again, there's no way, there's just no way Becky Hammond wants us to hear her diagramming the play. I mean, there's no, there's not a single coach in the WNBA. I guarantee you. I agree with that, no but they the understand why you're not saying right. that they don't understand why they understand why, but they would prefer not to have it. I mean, the USFL was doing this and other, other startup football leagues have done this where they've got the coaches, Mike, and you're hearing the play call immediately. And the analyst isn't able to tell you, okay, this is what the play is going to be. We've right. seen that before. I, I don't even like it there. I just think as soon as I'm able to hear all that stuff and get that level of access, or what was it? Was it was it Molly McGrath in the in the locker room for the XFL? Mm-hmm. And you know, she's. I, I, it might not have been Molly McGrath. I don't know. I, that's who I think it is in my mind. And it's like this is too much access. The fact that we have this much access tells me that there is a desperation, and. I don't, you know, I don't I don't, know. I don't agree with that. We're going to hit back at each other. I think it is quenching the thirst, if you will. There are people that want more access. Like, for example, when we are done with this podcast, I haven't seen it. I want to watch the hard knocks of the Detroit Lions final episode off HBO because this is the one on the final one. I haven't seen it yet where they're having to make the roster cuts. That's the toughest one. And that is real. And a lot of people may think, uh, well, you know, you shouldn't be in there in that moment with the all-access cameras when you're cutting guys. But, hey, this is the reality of the NFL. Last last Tuesday, you had to have 27 or more players cut from every team. So I, as a viewer, I'm interested in – that's real. That's I'm getting insight. I want more of that. I want more access to that. Did you have a problem? I don't think I ever asked you this. During the baseball All-Star game on Fox, they were interviewing players. It's an All-Star game while the game is going on they were interviewing the yankee relief pitcher is it uh pinto i believe that's the yankee relief pitcher they were interviewing him while he was pitching they were interviewing him while he was making pitches and i thought in a small sample for an all-star game that was great that was great access it's goofing around but i thought that was great you did you have a qualm with that mr lewis dr lewis come on I find that that is less of a problem because they're not telling us stuff that we shouldn't know. We're not finding out strategy. Well, wait, not- no, hold on. Let me correct that. In the case of the Yankee pitcher, he goes, I'm going fastball low here. He was well, telling them that before he threw the pitch. We that's knew the as a viewer, that's where he's trying to go. Right. As an all-star game. I'm, right, right. I'm talking more like the regular stuff like they mm-hmm. would typically do during a game. I, I, I think they were interviewing uh, what's it? Well, Votto would have been the all-star game too, but sometimes when they're talking to the player on base, yep. they're not getting into. And if you recall the other day, they had a picture on and they could hear Carl Ravitch could hear. We could all hear as viewers. Uh, whatever they have, their little intercom system mm-hmm. to tell them the pitches and Rabbit was like, you should turn that down so we don't hear. I, my issue is we should not hear, hear strategy. We should not hear what you're trying to do. All now, right. you know, if you just want to talk, that's fine. But to me, I feel once we're getting into the point where teams are having to give up their secrets for TV, I just feel like I, I don't love it. Not right. live anyway. Maybe in a hard knocks format is fine. Okay. Because your concern also would be that a Bill Belichick type would be stealing right. that audio well, yeah. and video and using it to their advantage uh, on that. Uh, with that, I think we're pretty well good uh, here for this episode. We've gone a little long, but that's okay. We tend to we tend to go a little long at times. Anything else in closing here that we haven't covered as of yet with the NFL getting started? And uh, obviously the baseball postseason will be here soon yep. as they come down the home stretch. Anything else before we're gone? Um, 
Yeah, I think we're pretty much uh, good. We didn't talk about the golf, uh, you know. Uh, ooh, I... ooh, wait a minute. Let's do it officially. One more. Love it or leave it. Were we loving or leaving the Live Golf Tour uh, sudden death playoff in Boston this past weekend? Of course, the PGA Tour is over and done with. Rory McIlroy won the Tour Championship. What a moment for Jay Monahan, the commissioner, et cetera, because Rory is one of the saving graces with he and Tiger Woods trying to save the PGA Tour. So he won the Tour Championship. The Live Golf finished in Boston in a sudden death playoff with Dustin Johnson making a hello $4 million yeah. sudden death eagle putt to win it. Now, Dustin Johnson's already been guaranteed a bunch of money. They certainly had drama. I can tell you I was watching on Sunday afternoon online on YouTube, and the audience was right around like 145,000 when I was watching earlier in the afternoon. I was watching towards the end. It was up around 190,000 live, continuous, because you can see that for whatever that metric is worth, whatever it really means on the YouTube stream. So it had grown by 40 or 50,000 people just online to watch the dramatic finish of that. All right, so I, I'm in the bag of loving, exciting golf. Are you leaving it? Are you leaving it? What else you got for me on this? Well, you know, first of all, you know, 100,000 on YouTube. I mean, there's Bowling Green gymnastics meets that can get that kind of a number. What did you say to me earlier in the summer? Makeup influencers that have 10 times yes, that? Is that what you're right. saying? Exactly. Yes. Uh, but look, so, you know, I mean, I didn't even remember Dustin Johnson. Just period. Like, just as a concept. I didn't remember Dustin Johnson. Say, like, hey, Dustin Johnson. Okay. You know, I didn't remember that he was on the live tour. But and in fairness, you, you're not a you're not a golf guy. I'm not. So I'm that's not. yes, in fairness. But I will say this. If the stakes are money, I can't really get excited. If the stakes are history, right? All this fake stuff we tell ourselves matters about sports, but none of it does. I mean, there's a single championship ever won that actually has any meaning. But we are part of this collective intentionality right uh that uh, and i'm borrowing that from uh the uh, aaron tarver's the ion team that all of this matters right uh and uh if it's for that then sure you know if it's for the green jacket or for the claret jug but if it's for oh wow four more million dollars i don't care you already have tons of money why am i sitting down getting emotionally invested and in you getting richer that's I mean, that's is now, what was interesting. Is, and, and to your point, what was interesting for him, it was not. But for the two guys that were with him, which in this case, uh, Anirban, uh, Anirban Lahiri and the other player is uh, Joaquin Neiman. They are lesser known. They're brand new to the live tour. They just joined it and they had never had a payday like that. It was life changing stuff potentially for them, too. And they didn't end up winning. But you're right. It was not some storied historic prize that they were playing for some noteworthy golf trophy or accomplishment. It was the green. It was the cat. It still was fascinating to watch. And I'm going to be fascinated. I'm sorry. At the end of this, when they play with the two man teams for $16 million first plot prize, 8 million each at uh, Donald Trump's Doral golf club in South Florida in Miami in October, Second prize, two guys are going to share $8 million. So wow. I'm going to be intrigued by that. I realize there's not history and tradition in a green jacket, like you said, or a Heisman trophy behind it, but you know, I'm a golfer. I don't mind. I don't mind watching people make money, but I mean, like for me, 
I prefer regular family feud to celebrity family feud for that reason, right? <laughs> a regular family getting $20,000 hits a little bit differently than a celebrity getting $20,000 for their favorite charity. You right. know what I mean? And so to me, if if there were just ordinary people out there going for $16 million, now that I would tune in for because that'd be, I'd try to sign up for it, right? You know, <laughs> I mean, it'd we be get on some of that. I'm with you. Yeah, you and exactly. I could be a two-man team down at Doral. Yeah. And see if we could break 125 on the golf course. But, I would know, be this, your helper on that. I would help you. Oh, no, I, I can't play golf. I have no idea. I I'm no saying idea. I would counterbalance. We'd be a two-man oh, team. Oh, right. Yes, we would have yes, a chance true. to break 125 because of me. Well, well I, I hope because I'm not going to be able to provide anything in that scenario. <laughs> but I will say, you know, for me, as far as the Lip Tour goes, they you have to have some traditions. People aren't just going to watch sports to watch athletes make money. Now, if the athletes are doing incredible things, if you can tell me that being on the live tour means you're going to see amazing golf, right? Mm -hmm. Then that's one thing. But if it's just going to be the same ordinary golf, only with a much higher, you know, uh, price tag, I don't know. Uh, to me, they've, I, I got, just... they've got a couple of innovations and I know we got to go. A couple of the innovations are they are playing a shotgun start, which means everybody plays at the same four and a half hour window. It's not beginning at sunrise at 7 a.m. until sunset, 7 or 8 p.m. in the summertime. Like a lot of these golf tournaments, everybody's in the same course conditions at the same time. 54 holes is shorter. You get to the drama quicker of the final round. The stuff they're doing with fan engagement, with team play, there's some innovative, different stuff that they are trying because they know they don't have legacy heritage history and they're not going to have that. Not any time in the next few years, you're not going to have that with these yeah. tournaments, but they're at least trying to do something different, be disruptive. And I will tell you this, it will be remembered in golf for a long time mm -hmm. that the first mm -hmm. ever live golf sudden death playoff was won by Dustin Johnson on a 30 foot Eagle that slammed in like it was a Shaquille O'Neal free throw off the backboard banking in to go in and was worth 4 million bucks. That will be talked about. That will be talked about a few years from now that they played a sudden death hole. And that's what happened on the first one more so than somebody meekly winning with a two foot par that you've never heard of right. on the live tour. Right. So it did work out for them. In that regard, anything else in closing before we go? We got to get out of here. You good? No, I think we're good. I think we're good. Lots there on the football. John, thank you. Uh, we'll see about the NFL kicking off this weekend. Again, I'll be in Big D for Sunday night with the uh, Cowboys and Buccaneers. I'll report back on that. We'll see what happens with all the college action this weekend, the U.S. Open tennis that concludes, and much more. John, thank you as always. We appreciate it. Hey, no problem. One more plug for George Offman's Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. Greg Gumble, the guest this week from CBS with some great stories about he and his brother Bryant, obviously, rising to sports broadcasting prominence in the 1980s especially. You'll hear that. Again, uh, Mike and Phil with the Announcer Schedules podcast is out later in the week. Barry Tompkins of Showtime Sports, legendary boxing announcer, is with them as well. For now, we are good. Make sure you're following or subscribing to get all this content on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast feed, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. For now, we're good. For John Lewis, I'm merely TJ Reeves on the Sports Media Watch dot com podcast why pay more for a separate coq10 supplement enjoy twice the benefits with super beats heart choose advanced from the number one doctor pharmacist and cardiologist recommended beat brand for heart health support the new super beats heart choose advanced by human is now infused with coq10 that's essentially like getting coq10 for free our powerful blend of beetroot grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 ingredients support nitric oxide production, 
healthy blood pressure, healthy CoQ10 levels, and heart-healthy energy with two tasty chews a day. Plus, Superbeats Heart Chews Advance are plant-based, so you get heart-healthy energy without stimulants. For a limited time, get a free 30-day supply of Superbeats Heart Chews on all bundles and 15% off your first order by going to RadioBeats.com and using promo code DEAL. That's RadioBeats.com, code DEAL. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.